Amen. The word of the Lord, right? It's, it's amazing to really just listen or follow along to God's word. And so we just covered the first 12 verses of chapter 4, which is where we'll be today. And then next week, we're going to finish our series in the book of Ruth and look at the last part of chapter 4. But before we get to Ruth, I just want to give you a few updates because we're all wondering whether we need to wear one or not, right? Everywhere we go, do I have to wear it? Do I not have to wear it? What's going on? And so we're going to make it very simple for you today. Uh, Starting today, we're just going to make mask wearing optional, all right? And so you do what's best for you personally, as a person, and as a family. And honestly, if we can all just do this with respect and love and care and be kind to others, then we're going to make it through this, okay? And so let's just make sure we do that. And so again, they're optional beginning today. And so if you have any questions about that, you can see me after the service or send me an email or whatever you would like to do. So that's the first update. Second, uh, we would love to let you know that because of this, because of all the stuff changing from the state level, we are going to go ahead and add more chairs into this room, which is pretty great for this service, right? And then secondly, because of that, we're going to go back down to two services. And so our new service times are changing. And so the 9 o'clock isn't changing. That's staying at 9 o'clock. But this service is changing, okay? So if you're just going to forget this, take a picture of it, all right? Or something. Um, It's only changing 15 minutes, all right? And so you get 15 more minutes of whatever you like to do on Sunday mornings, okay? Okay? And so really, some of you who are always late, maybe you just keep telling yourself 1015, all right? And we'll go from there. But anyways, new service times here, 9 and 1030. Can't wait to continue to worship with you week after week. That's what God's Word said in Hebrews. Don't neglect meeting together. And that's what we get to do today. We get to meet together. We get to grow together. And then ultimately, we get to leave this building, these walls, and we get to represent Jesus in our community. And so that's what we're doing today. So transitioning to Ruth, I want you to think about one of the greatest love stories that you have ever read or watched, all right? So think about it. Get it in your mind. The greatest love story you've ever read or watched. Maybe it's something like Romeo and Juliet, kind of morbid, but a classic. What about Casablanca? Some of you movie fanatics know that movie, top 10 of all time, great love story. What about Rocky? Right? Love story. If you really think about it, he loves Adrian. There are so many love stories out there, aren't there? There are so many, it's hard to really think of one. And honestly, that's why Hallmark is so popular, is because people love, and we're suckers for, a really good love story that's rooted in selfless, authentic love, aren't we? And the reason we're suckers for it is because we feel it at a very heart level, don't we? Even sometimes there's commercials that are so redemptive in nature and so loving and you find yourself a little emotional and they're trying to sell you something and you're like, done, I'm buying it. The reason is because it hits deep, doesn't it? It hits at a level that we can't even really think about sometimes. When we think about the book of Ruth, that's exactly what the book of Ruth is. It's an amazing love story rooted in selfless, authentic love. 
It's a love story of epic proportion. It's rooted in unconditional love, sacrifice, and ultimately redemption. And today we get to see the climax of the story, the peak of the story, where Boaz finally gets to marry Ruth. Last week they had this really great interaction at the threshing floor, which leads into today. And that's gonna, we're going to see that in these verses, and we already read it. And so like I said, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ruth 4, verses 1 through 12, and so you can keep them open right there. And so let's begin by reading verses 1 through 3 in chapter 4 of Ruth. And so just before I start, just a little recap, okay? So last week in chapter 3, they're, at, they're having this amazing experience at the threshing floor, and then Boaz kind of mentions that He's going to get the ball rolling on this whole family redeemer situation. But there was someone who had the right before he did. And so this is kind of going into that. Ruth 4, verse 1, is Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Now, it's a little important for us to know the town gate was very important at that day. Sounds random to us, but the town gate is where all of the business transactions happened. That's where all the leadership would be. That's where the, the business would happen, buy, sell, trade, whatever you would want. And so people would go there in order for certain things to happen like what's about to happen. So it's very normal for them to go to the town gate. He says, just then the family redeemer he mentioned in chapter three, he mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, hey, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. And so we're going to start, stop there real quick. And so the need for a family redeemer is very important at this part of the story. Ruth's original audience would understand all of this talk about what a family redeemer is. But for us, this is very foreign. So we have to get a little acquainted at what it means to have a family redeemer. I like this definition right here. A family redeemer, or otherwise translated a kinsman redeemer, is a male relative who, according to various laws found in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, had the privilege or responsibility to act for a relative who was in trouble, danger, or in need of vindication. And so what's happening is that Naomi and Ruth are in trouble or in need of vindication, really, because... uh, uh, Naomi's husband passed away and her sons passed away. They moved back to Bethlehem with nothing. And so they needed someone for that vindication. They needed someone to step up for them. And we actually see this family redeemer, kinsman redeemer thing start to unfold in Ruth chapter 2. When Boaz helps Ruth, Naomi reveals that Boaz is one of their family redeemers. There was a list of names who were their family redeemers. And then in Ruth chapter 3, when when Ruth asked Boaz to marry her, ultimately Boaz reveals he is a family redeemer. And now we come to Ruth 4 and Boaz just gets the ball rolling for them. And ultimately he is just smitten for Ruth and truly wants to marry her. But he has to get that ball rolling. 
And so the question is, is why does Boaz act on behalf of Naomi and Ruth? Why does he kind of get everything moving so that they can have a family redeemer? It's actually pretty simple. When Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, moved to Moab in chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, we see that there was a famine in Bethlehem, and so they moved to Moab. Now, when there were, was land involved, in that time, you did not sell your family land. You kept it. You kept it. Even if you were moving away, you kept that land so that it could continue to go down from generation to generation as an inheritance. And so when they moved, most likely Elimelech deeded the land out. They moved, he dies, the two sons die, Naomi moves back, and guess what? She has no right to her land, even though it's hers, because of what has happened in the past. And so someone in their family had to step in and do for them what they could never do for themselves. Someone had to redeem the land, which meant that Naomi and Ruth would also be redeemed as well. And so in order to make this pretty straightforward, we see kind of three things that this family redeemer needed to have, almost like three check marks, if you will. These are from J.D. Greer. First, the family redeemer had to have the right. They had to be the closest living relative willing to do this, okay? So we've all experienced some family disunity when things are being left to, to the family. Have you ever experienced that before? We've all experienced that somehow, some way where things are left and then all the siblings are fighting over it, the family's fighting over certain things. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. Well, this way, the reason they have kind of a pecking order, if you will, is so that that doesn't happen. There's order to it. The first one who's closest has the right. Second, that person who has the right has to have the resources. You can't buy land without money. I'm trying to convince my kids that the world is not free. All right? Give me that. No, it costs money. Really? Absolutely. All right? Same thing. Costs money, and so they have to have the resources. They can't just say, I'll do it, but not have anything to back it up. And then the last thing we see is the resolve. They had to want to do it. They had to want to do it. This last one is the key. This last one is the key because the resolve expresses a few things. First, it expresses selflessness. It expresses selflessness because this is a process and there's a cost involved. And in order to do this, you have to literally think selflessly to help someone out in your family. And also, this resolve expresses sacrifice. Like I said, it costs something. You have, you have to give something up in order to help others out. And so both of these, selflessness and sacrifice, are foundational when it comes to loving and caring for other people, doesn't it? We can all relate to that. Whenever we want to love and care for someone else other than ourselves, it usually takes a selfless attitude and a sacrificial attitude. You usually give something up, like your time, your finances, your energy, whatever the case may be, and you usually have to not think about yourself because you could be doing other things that are better for yourself. Selflessness and sacrifice are needed in order for the resolve to happen. 
Now, as much as Boaz wanted to be this guy, their family redeemer, he wasn't the first in line. And because he's a man of integrity, he goes to the actual person who's first in line, and he gets this transaction moving along. He tells this nameless redeemer, if you've noticed in chapter 4, this person is not named. They just keep calling him the redeemer. He goes to them and he says, you can redeem the land from Naomi. And this is the conversation, verse 4. He's, he, remember, they're at this gate. They bring in 10 witnesses. There's a bunch of people around. People are watching this. Ruth 4. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. So you almost have this, this, there's two dudes who want the land, okay? One wants the land, and we'll see why. And second, we have Boaz who is like, hey man, we're going to go through this, but if you don't want it, tell me right away because I'm going to do it. And so we have two people who are in, in line, if you will, to redeem Naomi and Ruth. I wonder if the nameless redeemer was just super excited in this moment. And here's why I think he was pretty excited. First, he could purchase land, which like I said, did not get sold to people all the time. It usually was kept in the family. He could get land, which is really hard to come by. Second, he would only have to take care of Naomi, as Boaz has told him. Only take care of Naomi, who's an older widow, which means that the cost isn't that much. Just take care of Naomi for a while, and then then she's going to pass away at some point. And then last, after Naomi dies, if this is the case, then he would get to keep the land, and that land then would become his kid's inheritance because Naomi was not going to have any more kids. And so with what we've read so far, let's go back to our three boxes. Does this man have the right? Yes, he is the first in line. Does he have the resources? Of course he does. He said, I'll redeem it. He wouldn't have said that. He probably would have said, I got to check my bank, okay? He has the resources. Now the question, again, this is key. Does he have the resolve? Does he have the resolve? Not so fast. And here's why. Because I, th- I feel like Boaz was just setting him up, okay? He gave him this, this, this land on a platter, right? He's like, this is a no-brainer. Of course, of course I'll redeem it. And then after he says, I'll redeem it, Boaz drops this bomb on him. He says, of course, your purchase of the land of Naomi from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth the Moabite widow. That way, she can have children who can carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. It's almost as if Boaz was just setting him up just to drop that right on him, right? Like, hey, you're going to get your hopes up, but not really because there's a catch. And so Boaz basically says, did I forget to tell you about Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law? She's widowed. She's young. She's child childless, all right? She has no children. And so, by Jewish law, if you have children with her, those children are going to carry on her deceased husband's name, and those children will then inherit the land, not yours. That's a big if for this person. This changes everything. 
And so does this man redeem the land? Does he have the resolve even after hearing this about Ruth? Let's see in verse 6. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. This guy has the right. This guy has the resources to help two vulnerable widows out who happen to be in his family, and yet he does not have the resolve to do it. Why is that? Well, it's because he is only worried about his own estate. Or in other words, he is only worried about himself. He's only worried about himself. He goes on to say, hey, man, you can do it. You can redeem this family. You know what? It's here we realize why the author of Ruth did not name this family redeemer because he doesn't deserve his name to be written in a book that's rooted in selfless, sacrificial love. Because this guy is not selfless and he's obviously not sacrificial because all he cares about is himself. He says... You two widows over there who need someone to step up, who need someone to step in the gap and help you out, you know what? I'm not going to do it. So in a sense, he basically just rejects them for himself. For himself. You see, this reminds me of a John Calvin quote. He says, our self-love ruins us with such blindness. This guy is so self-consumed that it keeps them, keeps him from doing what's truly important, from caring and loving two widows, from giving himself for the sake of others. His desire to satisfy his personal longings, his desire to satisfy his own estate, if you will, reminds us of what Jesus says in Mark 8, 36. He says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit? His soul. I hope this verse really cuts deep to the soul. And here's why. Because Jesus is showing us two things. He's showing us things that are temporary and something that's eternal. And so he says, what does it profit a man, a person, is if all we are doing is trying to build our estate up of things that are merely going to fade away in life. And when you do that, you know what it's doing over time? It's going to chip away and chip away and chip away and erode your soul, which is eternal. Temporal, gaining the world. Eternal, our souls. This man, this nameless man, is literally focused on gaining the world. And yet he's forfeiting his soul in the process. That's what selfishness and pride does to us, doesn't it? So all of us in here need to, can we just be honest with ourselves? Let's ask ourselves a few questions. First, would people in our lives say we are more like Boaz, who is selfless, which we're going to see in a second, or the nameless person who is selfish? What would people say about you? 
Who have you rejected because you're only looking out for yourself? Just like this guy just rejected two vulnerable widows. Next question. When we have a chance to serve someone who is in need, do we say no because we care more about our time, our finances, or our status? These are tough questions. And I bet a lot of us are thinking, of course I would help someone out. But, but, but do we? Is that something that you automatically just shift to? Of course I'll help out. Really think about it. And then ultimately, these two questions lead to the last, who or what has control of my soul? If you keep saying no to people, no to loving people, no to selflessness and sacrifice, then something else has control of your soul. The question is, what is it? What is it? Thankfully, Boaz is different than this nameless redeemer. He realizes that true love is costly. It's an expense that he must pay for the sake of others. And it's because of this that he redeems them. And ultimately, he marries Ruth. Look at this passage. Then Boaz, by the way, I'm going to say this really loud and enthusiastic because I feel like Boaz would have, okay? Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Milan. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Milan, to be my wife. This way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Notice the difference in vocabulary here. Remember, the nameless guy says, I can't do it. That will affect my own estate. And look what Boaz says. He says, listen, I'm going to marry Ruth. Why? So that she can have a son. So that that son can then guarantee them an inheritance for their family and so that that son can continue on their name. Do you see the difference in vocabulary? One is focused on self, the nameless redeemer, and the other is focused on someone else. That's what true love is. True love is when we put others above ourselves. And when we look at our relationships that are falling apart, guess what happens? We start putting ourselves above them, don't we? Whether it's in a marriage, family, friends, usually the breakdown of a relationship is because we are becoming like the nameless redeemer who doesn't do anything for these two women. The difference here is so vivid. That's what true love truly is. And people were so excited for Boaz and Ruth. They begin to bless them. And Boaz continues on and and talks to them a little bit. But we have to really ask ourselves, does Boaz check these three boxes? Does Boaz have the right? Yes. He's second in line. He's a man of integrity. He went through the process. The first person said no. Now it's his turn. It's his right. Second, does he have the resources? Of course he does. He's probably loaded. Third, the resolve. Does he want to do it? Of course he does. He loves Ruth. He loves Naomi. He's selfless. He's sacrificial. He understands the cost of loving another person. And so he's willing 
to do it. He steps in. Listen, Boaz is a beautiful picture of our Redeemer. And our Redeemer is not nameless. He has a name, and it's Jesus. Boaz is a beautiful picture of our Redeemer because Boaz does for Naomi and Ruth what they could never do for themselves. They could never redeem this land. They could never figure it out without a Redeemer stepping into their story. And Jesus is the same way. When we're empty like Naomi, when we're alone like Ruth, and when we're at our end, when we have nowhere to go, guess what? Jesus enters our story just like Boaz enters theirs. Just like Boaz, Jesus fulfills those three boxes for you and for me today. Does Jesus have the right? Of course he does. He's our relative. He was born of a woman. Christmas after Christmas after Christmas, we celebrate one thing, and that's the birth of Jesus. Why is that so important? Because that's when God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, and Jesus was sent, and he became a human. He took on human form for you and for me to walk with us, to talk with us, to be tempted like us. He entered into our world. No other religion has a God who has done that except for Christianity. Our God came to us. We didn't have to work our way to him. He came to us. He entered our story, literally, and took on human form. He has the right to take our place, to be our redeemer. Second, does he have the resources? Of course he does. Jesus was without sin, with power over death. Listen to me. Uh, I'm a sinner. Are you? Yeah, if you don't know, you are, okay? Very simple. We, in order for us to be redeemed, we needed someone who was sinless. We needed our redeemer, the currency was someone without sin to go pay the penalty for us so that we could be redeemed and reconciled to the Father. And that's why Jesus, being both fully God and fully man, is so important because he was man, because he was one of us. He has the right. But now, because he's sinless, he also has the resources. He has what we don't have. He has the only currency it takes to redeem us back to the Father. He absolutely has the resources. And lastly, does he have the resolve? Of course he does. Jesus didn't go kicking and screaming to the cross. Jesus, with you in mind and with me in mind, went willingly. He put aside his own things. He put aside the cup. He asked God for it to pass, but surely it didn't. And he went willingly to the cross where he gave his life for you and for me. If anything, if that's resolve, that is resolve. That is a willingness to do something for someone else that they could never do for themselves. And it was you he did it for. It was me he did it for. Jesus has the right, he has the resources, and he has the resolve. That's why he's not a nameless redeemer. That's why he has a name, and it's Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so as we close today, I just want to focus on two things. First, I want to encourage two things. If you have never allowed Jesus to be your redeemer, today is a wonderful day to do that. 
to allow Jesus to be your redeemer, to enter into your story so that the trajectory of your life will never be the same ever again. And it's very simple. You may be asking, well, how do I allow that? Well, right there in your chair, you can simply just cry out to him and say, you know what, God? I need a redeemer, and I believe that you are that redeemer. Lord, step into my story and change my life. It's as simple as that. That's my first encouragement. For those of you who have never done that before, allow Jesus to be your redeemer today. My second encouragement are for those who are on the journey with Jesus. You do know Jesus is your redeemer. You do have a relationship with him. I don't know where you're at with him, though. Only you do. Only you know where you are with your redeemer. So my encouragement for you is maybe you need to turn back to him. Maybe you've been straying away, only focused on your own estate, only focused on what you can gain in this world, but slowly but surely you've just been chipping away at your soul, which is eternal. Or maybe today you're super close to Jesus and you've been following him and you're in a season that's so good and so vivid and so fresh. Amen to that. But in this moment as well, cling to your Redeemer, whom you are so close to. We all need a Redeemer, every single person in this room. And so only you know where you're at. Only you know if you need Jesus to enter in to your story. And so I want to close by just giving us a couple moments to respond right there individually in your chair. As, G- as Spencer sings this song, just take a moment to cry out to God. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done Jesus my Forgive us your 